Hi everyone, I'm Ricardo Gonsalves and welcome to this podcast of Small Business Secrets. We'll check in with the Small Business Minister in Canberra, Michael McCormack. We'll also tell you how you can access social media and use the right channels, which would be most effective for your small business, all of that and plenty more in this podcast of Small Business Secrets. Coming up, against the grain, the small business fighting a rice giant's export monopoly. From Munich to Adelaide, turning a family tradition into a mass-scale business and shaken, not stirred. The art of mixing a perfect social media plan. It's not a platform just to blast ads um, and have a one-way conversation. Hello, I'm Ricardo Gonsalves and welcome to Small Business Secrets. Also coming up on the program, how boutique butter is becoming big business. But first, did you know? Australia produces about a million tonnes of rice every year. 98% of it is grown in New South Wales, but growers there are restricted to the domestic market only unless they want to sell through rice giant Sunrice, which has the sole licence to export. It's something some small rice growers say is damaging their business. Sana Kadar went to the New South Wales Riverina to speak to one of them. Well, we've got roughly 600 acres of irrigation country and 250 acres of uh, bush block just down the road. One thing we do here is uh, we never burn. Peter Randall's family farm has been organic for the past 27 years, but it's only in the last five that he says he's fully begun reaping the financial benefits of his crop. The rice industry was highly regulated. It was a, a monopoly situation. Uh, Sunrise, through the Rice Marketing Board, had sole buying power and all rice grown in New South Wales had to go to Sun Rice. And so what we grew here as organic went through their system and we didn't see the full value of that. The rules were relaxed in 2006, but it wasn't until 2011, after the drought, that Peter was ready to take advantage. He now processes his own rice on site and sells it under his own label. It gives us what I call the Woolies margin. Before, as a bulk commodity, we were paid bulk prices. And as a value adder, we get the full retail price, and that's a big difference. But when it comes to export opportunities, regulations remain, with up to a $250,000 fine for anyone caught flouting the rules. We have almost weekly um, inquiries from somewhere on the planet. Um, people looking for clean organic rice and uh, at the moment we cannot service that export market. Sunrise still has a monopoly on that. We're not a large tonnage grower by any means and but we could probably service small specialty markets. But he admits he's in the minority with most farmers supporting the current system. My views is totally opposite to most local people. The actual capacity as a small rice grower to access overseas markets and the freight, the marketing costs are quite expensive. The licence was issued to Sunrise, which was originally Rice Growers Limited 
um, as a cooperative before it became a corporate structure to give the growers the maximum opportunity to achieve a higher return. With the export rules currently under review, Peter is nevertheless hopeful for a change. It's just a bit frustrating because I can see it's holding back the organic rice industry. Without the export avenue available to him, Peter can only focus on selling domestically. So wholesale makes up about 40% of the business, markets 30%, retail 20%, and online sales 10%. His customers include high-end venues like Bondi Icebergs in Sydney and the Windsor Hotel in Melbourne. Not even that pen. And as the business has grown, so has the equipment, much of it imported from overseas. Before we had this machine, we used to visually check all the rice. So it was very tedious and time-consuming. This $30,000 colour sorter, made by a Chinese manufacturer, automates the process. And in 12 months, they went from one rice cake maker to three, all purchased from South Korea for $6,500 a pop. So while export rights remain elusive, imports are helping this business grow. It's the meaty business that's crossed generations and nations. From Munich to Adelaide, the Canole family has turned small goods from a leisurely pastime to a mass-scale business. They've grown to employ more than 200 staff and the entrepreneurial streak has now been passed on to a fourth generation. And there's a good chance you've come across their products in your local supermarket. They're stocked in every state and territory, as Sarah Arbo reports. Sausages, pâtés, slicing meats, as far as the eye can see. I mean, at Barossa Fine Foods, we make the, the largest variety of uh, all meat type products in Australia. So we have about 350 different types of small goods, etc., that we make in hammocks, things like that. We are producing uh, pâtés, uh, slicing meats, and uh, liverwurst, which is the Northern European style of pâté. There's a little bit of love in each product, a flavour sensation, according to Barossa Fine Foods director Franz Knoll. They're made just of pork and beef type products, uh, made fine or with, with uh, meat pieces to it, and then we add various seasons, etc. So they're designed to, uh, to slice finely. Of course, it wouldn't be a South Aussie business without a unique delicacy. Fritz, very typical South Australian. Uh, um, something that uh, uh, is unique to us, obviously, and it's mainly a, a, a beef, pork and, and lamb product, and it's just a very traditional old-fashioned German. With so much meat on offer, Franz took us on a tour. Over here we have some bacon. This is 1935, 1937, that's when they started the business, so that style of brine is what we use. There's lots of ham, and salami lovers need look no further. This is our, our fermenting room. Uh, basically what we're doing is like a sauna and it, uh, you bring the temperature up, it helps to acidify the, the salamis, which is what preserves it. In fact, there's enough meat here to cover 5,000 square metres. And getting to this point has taken 25 years. Franz Knoll is a third-generation butcher. 
His great uncle's shop in Munich was levelled in the Second World War, but the family rebuilt. Franz's father Hans migrated to Australia in 1957 and four years later opened his own store. Eventually, Franz bought a small, rundown shop called Barossa Fine Foods. They started out making small goods in their family kitchen, but quickly outgrew it. And then you start looking for equipment and uh, there was always a lot of second-hand equipment. You know, so whatever you can afford to, uh, to make yourself more efficient, you would do that. Barossa Fine Foods has maintained a steady growth of about 10 to 20% annually, shifting factories three times to accommodate their expansion. The family now employs 220 staff with eight stores in Adelaide. It supplies small goods to supermarkets and delis across the country. But they're careful not to overcommit, offsetting risk by ensuring no customer makes up more than 10% of the business. They buy in their meat from local farmers, only importing if there's a shortage of supply. Our, our place in the market is, is to be at the, at the best end, uh, to make things that, that, are, that people really appreciate, that they, that, uh, they can be in love with. Um, and if, it can't, if I can't do that, then we, we don't want to sell it. Franz's succession plan is strong. His four sons have been groomed for years to take over the business. The kids were involved from very early because it's uh, the meat business, particularly small goods, is one, it, it's long hours. Uh, but our form of babysitting was the kids would work in the central market with us. Um, so they would have the little stall or if they're tall enough they would be able to serve in between. So their evolution within the business is very much from the beginning. Today they each have their own role. Heck, they've even branded themselves. The boys, as one of their uh, dares amongst each other, they all have a Barossa Fine Foods tattoo on their, on their butt. And uh, it actually looks quite good. But, uh, I won't ask them to show it to me. Oh, you can. <laughs> I declined. But on to media matters. The family will open a shop in Melbourne by the year's end and hopes to keep growing. For Franz, one thing is certain. It's all about you. Pepe Sayer is a food snob. He likes things done the old-fashioned way with no shortcuts. He's the alter ego of Lebanese-born Pierre Issa, who fronts the boutique Butter and Australia's best restaurants can't get enough of it. It's not bad for someone whose only real experience with dairy products was watching his parents make their own yogurt. Hi, I'm Pepe from Pepe Sayer Butter Company. <laughs> That's too hard. I grew up part of my life in Australia. At the age of six, we went, my sister and I went back to Lebanon and lived with my dad there till we were about 16. At times it was scary. We were taught at school, if you hear the whistle of the bomb, it's gone over you. You're safe. <laughs> so I left Lebanon when the war ended. So the civil war pretty much ended in 91, 92 and I left. Pepe was my nickname as a child and Saya has always been my sort of imaginary island in my mind that I'd escaped to. And when we made the product, it needed an image, it needed a brand, it needed a story. I had this image of my head about a real arrogant looking, older, you know, balding gentleman. And when it comes to food, people can relate to a snob. 
This is where the process starts. We bring in the cream straight from the farms that we use around Australia. We go as far as South Australia to source our cream. Carriage Works is where we sold the first block of butter. You know, we started selling and first it was five that sold and then it was 10, then it was 20 and then week after week we grew that and then we thought, ah, oh, well, we think it's ready for retail. So we bring in the cream and we heat it up. We add a lactic culture to the cream that eats up all the lactose and turns it into lactic acid and that sours down the cream. So in essence, we've got creme fraiche through a fermentation process. One of our biggest problems is we started making the butter and then we ended up with a cool room of butter. We didn't have anyone to sell it to. So we started approaching a lot of the chefs and that wasn't working, you know, they were, they were serving French butter in their restaurants. We had to prove ourselves. We've got to get the product into their mouths and then let them decide. Get all the rest, get the logos, get everything, get it in their mouth. You know, and that's what you get at the markets. When your second most asked question at a market is where I can buy it from, and that person that's asking you that is standing at a point of sale, you know that they might shop in other places. Qantas really put us on the map. They helped us in more than just having buying our butter. They helped us with our management techniques. They helped us with, you know, HACCP and food, food standards. They, they really lifted the bar for us. We turned six in November, so six years on. I would say in the foodie world, Pepe Sayer butter is iconic. To me, this is, this is good tasting butter. The other stuff's no good. Have this, it's handmade, bit of thoughts being gone into it. It's not about, you know, skimming uh, or making massive profit. Tell your story. Tell your story. People want to be engaged. People want to know about how you're doing it, what you're doing it. In our first episode, we spoke with the newly appointed Small Business Minister, Michael McCormack, about his plans for his portfolio. We promised to check back with the Minister to see how those plans are panning out. While we may be inside the halls of Parliament House, the Minister for Small Business, Michael McCormack, has been spending a lot of his time outside of these walls. Let's check out what he's been up to. G'day, Minister. Ricardo, how are you, mate? Good to see you again. Good to see you too. A very different to the way we caught up last time because we were on the main street of Wagga. We were, absolutely, at Scribbles Cafe. That's right, that's right. How, um, you know, how busy have you been since then? Absolutely flat chat. I've been literally had my sleeves rolled up and visited every state, every territory, and got out and spread the, the good message and, and the word that uh, we have, which is a great word from the, the coalition about what we're doing in the small business space. For you, the role, you know, it's, been, it's a new role for you. Has it been what you expected it to be? Oh, that and so much more. And as I say, we've got a really good message to, to tell a really good story to, to sell as far as small business is concerned. And, and, and moreover, they're coming back to us and saying, the government's getting on with the job and, you know, that's tremendous. And, and giving the ideas and ob obviously uh, uh, stories that they want me to carry to the parliament and, uh, and, and in all the policy settings that we do, they're, they're giving me fresh ideas and opportunities that we could also uh, explore. Now, before we talk about policy, I do want to get the census out of the way, so can we take a seat? Absolutely. 
So the last time we spoke, you were pretty excited because small business was your only responsibility. You were wholly and solely committed to it. But then a few days later, you were given responsibility for the census. Given the, you know, the dramas associated with it, do you think you didn't devote enough time to small business at that time? Well, look, I think the Australian Bureau of Statistics and small business go hand in glove in as much as the census is a really important document because it enables small communities, large communities, remote, regional, capital city communities to be funded. And so small businesses tap into the information, the data that the census collects uh, each and every time. And, and this was the 17th uh, census conducted by the ABS. And look, ultimately, it's been a success. There's been 96% of Australian households have responded. That data will now go, obviously, towards uh, making sure that there's equitable funding for small businesses, for communities right throughout Australia. So to that end, uh, there's, there are very important linkages. When we last spoke, you also mentioned that you wanted to get to see as many small business owners as you could in various parts of the country. Where have you been? Oh, look, I've been to every state and every territory and uh, some of the success stories that I've seen, particularly uh, through the number of women who are engaged in the small business sector. I went to a, an event called Oz Mumpreneurs uh, in Melbourne and there were hundreds of success stories, innovative women, some of them who were very high-flying corporate women who uh, went home, had a, had a family and then decided, you know, I don't want to spend an hour in traffic every day going to work and then an hour home again. I want to be where my family is and, and raise my, my kids and, and be there for them during those formative years, but I also want to run a business. And so they've, they've started up these amazing, remarkable businesses which are now exporting to the world and uh, forgetting their corporate uh, high tower life before and, uh, and, and working from home and making a great success of it. They're remarkable women and, uh, and I want to be there for them as well. What are those small business people telling you? Obviously red tape's an issue, but are there any other issues that have come about since your time in the role? Well, look, certainly uh, there have been some, some new issues arise, and I'm, I'm actually pleased to, uh, to be getting on board with Craig Laundy. Uh, he's the Assistant Minister for Industry, Innovation and Science, working with Greg Hunt, of course. Now, we're starting a, a pilot program in Parramatta, particularly in the hospitality area, the, the National Business Simplification Initiative. That is going to cut through so many levels of red tape through local, through state and through the federal sphere, those three tiers of government, and help small business, particularly the startups, obviously the startups, because that's where the growth is. And, uh, and that's one way that this government, this federal government, coalition government is getting on with the job of cutting through that, that red tape layer, uh, green tape as well. Now we've already reduced $4.8 billion worth of red tape. We need to do more, uh, obviously, and I'd welcome any feedback from small businesses, wherever they might be, uh, to how we can cut through some of the duplication, some of the red and green tape. We've had Peter Strong, the CEO of Cosboa, on the show before, and he's told me he's that... He's a good man. Yeah, he's told me you've had some positive interactions. However, he does want to see some changes, in particular, some movement in a small business industrial award. Any progress? Well, look, Kate Carnell, the uh, Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman, has also spoken about this very thing. And so we're having negotiations at the moment. They're very positive talks, and uh, uh, yeah, watch this space. And Minister, just finally, what's on the agenda for 2017? Well, the Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull wants me to get out and, uh, and engage with the sector. It's a great sector, it's a growing sector, and uh, he said to me, you know, there, there you go, there's a there's a, a, a open open country, go out and explore it, spread our good message, sell, sell the word that we've got to tell about uh, uh, a small business and, and make sure you engage with as many people as possible, whether they're in the capital city, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, elsewhere, 
but also get out to those regional and remote communities. And I'm doing just that. And as a, as a National Party Member of Parliament, the first National Party Member of Parliament to actually hold a small business portfolio, that's imperative. And, uh, and uh, Barnaby Joyce is also very much behind what I'm doing and what we're doing as a government in the small business space. Okay, Minister, that was great. Thanks, Ricardo. Thanks for your time. All the best for 2017. Well, I look forward to watching SBS Small Business Secrets each and every Sunday at awesome. five o'clock. Thank well you done. for your support. In the face of so many social media platforms, it's important to stay cool, calm and collected, much like a, a certain secret agent, like 007's favourite drink. A small business social strategy is best kept simple. Here at the Roosevelt in Sydney's King's Cross, they know a thing or two about cocktails. They've been mixing them since underworld figure Abe Saffron opened the place in 1947. And to help me perfect the mix of a perfect social media plan is the CEO and founder of social media management business, Local Measure, Jonathan Baruch. Jonathan, it's Gonsalves, Ricardo Gonsalves. Every martini begins with the right base, vodka or gin, or in our case, both. And so does every good social media plan. So Jonathan, where do you start? Like all good plans, it starts with research, really understanding where your customers live online. If you're a wholesale business, maybe the best place to go is LinkedIn. If you're targeting consumers, maybe it's Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. And if you're after a younger audience, maybe even checking out Snapchat. So the best place to start is really understanding your customers. Once you've started, you need a sweetener like vermouth. So Jonathan, what's the best way to entice potential customers? I think what a lot of small businesses forget is social media is meant to be social. It's a two-way conversation and they have to create really compelling content and engage in conversations that their customers actually care about. Or have a genuine two-way dialogue is going to entice new potential customers and the friends and followers of those people they're talking to. It's not a platform just to blast ads um, and have a one-way conversation. There seems to be statistics about videos seem to be the more popular type of platform. Videos is going crazy at the moment. On Facebook alone, 8 billion videos get played every day. Does promoted material turn customers off? Well, I think that's where it's important for the small business to create content that actually shows the passion of the business owner. Genuinely, consumers are quite open and receptive to advertising if it's targeted, but if there's creativity and flair that shows why the business is operating, that tends to resonate quite well with the community. An olive or a twist of lemon, it's important to put your stamp on your social media strategies. So Jonathan, what kind of advice do you have on that? I think for a small business owner, it's really important to get one platform right before rushing to others. The worst thing you could do is go and open five or six social media accounts and leave them all dormant. What else should you not do? Small businesses that have a Facebook page and push out content, but then don't respond to their customers when there's a service issue or a complaint, I think um, sets off alarm bells in the minds of consumers. And how do you measure social media strategy success? I think at the end of the day an effective social media strategy is one that brings in business. So if it's driving leads to your website which convert, if it's driving phone calls to, or bookings, or people are engaging and asking questions about your products and services, you know that it's a successful strategy. And there you have it. The perfect cocktail, 
simple social media success. Shaken, not stirred of course. Cheers. Cheers. And that is it for the program. If you do have any questions about your small business, why not ask KPMG Enterprise? We have their expertise on hand to help. The details are on our website. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and you can watch Small Business Secrets anytime on SBS On Demand. I'm Ricardo Gonsalves. I'll see you next time. And that is all we have time for in this podcast of Small Business Secrets. Don't forget, though, you can find us on both Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Biz Secrets SBS or Small Business Secrets. And don't forget, there is more on our website, sbs.com.au forward slash news. You can find us there. I'm Ricardo Gonsalves. I'll speak to you soon.